0: The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. All right, welcome everybody to the True Ambition podcast. I'm your host, John Zink, and today uh, I am honored to be joined by uh, Latha Subramanian, and uh, she is joining us today via Zoom from Houston, Texas. So uh, Latha, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for asking, John. I hope you're doing well.
0: I'm doing great. So, um... <laughs> Now, just uh, full transparency, uh, we've known each other for how long? Do you you know how long it is?
1: A decade.
0: A decade. So over 10 years. And I've got a couple different facts here. Um, You you are married to Naresh, is your husband.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: He's also in IT. um, And we just talked a little bit before we got this going With the whole COVID situation, you guys are both working out of the same house. Now, I've been in that situation before. When I first started this company, my wife and I both worked out of the same house. And it was, um, how do I say? It was a little bit tense every once in a while. Um, Now, you said that he's upstairs and you're downstairs? Yes. Well, that works out good. So, do you guys... Really, not see each other during the day; just stay in different parts of the house.
1: Yes, we we meet up for lunch occasionally as our schedule permits, but for the most part, we have very hectic schedules, so we just you know go through the day and then meet in the evening for dinner.
0: That's awesome. It's almost like you're dating.
1: Something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because I I think back to when I first started the company, I was working out of the house, and Carissa, my wife, worked out of the house too. Um, but she was always looking over my shoulder to go, have you made any money yet? <laughs> have you made any money yet? I'm like, leave me alone. So luckily things are a little bit better now, but uh, um, you also have a daughter named uh, Nitika, and mm-hmm. uh, she's a tax attorney. So does she do your taxes?
1: Not yet. She's Not a different yet. kind of tax attorney. She's a what is, state what, and local tax attorney. She's not income tax.
0: Oh, okay. So did she, yeah. is she in Texas? Is she close or is she out of uh, out of the area?
1: She just moved back to Houston, Texas. She's taken her bar exam last week and oh, nice. she's starting her internship next month. No, in January.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome. So and then your son, is it Drew? Yes. Did I pronounce it correctly? And uh, he's a a senior at University of Florida. So you guys are almost done paying for for school. Yes. So you get a raise here pretty quick when he's done.
1: Yes. No, well, not for three more years. My son wants to go to law school as well.
0: Oh, boy. There we go. See? That's what you get for having smart kids. (laughs) I think so. Now, you grew up in India, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How long were you there before you moved to the. US? or did you move somewhere else before you came to the. US?
1: I wasn't in India for very long. I was there for, I would say about 18 years, which was my most of my impressionable life, right? And then I moved to the United States and I've been here for almost 31 years. Um, and I lived in the Midwest for about 20 some years. And I've lived in Houston, Texas for 10 years.
0: If I remember correctly, when you and I met, you Most were in Most
1: of my work experience and my career history has been in the United States.
0: Okay. When I, if I remember correctly, you were in Ohio when we first met, right?
1: Right. I was in the Midwest. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio.
0: For someone like me who grew up in Illinois in a very small town, what, what was it like growing up and going to school in India? Kind of? Give me an idea of uh, what that was like.
1: Yeah. So I went to an all girls private school. It was a Catholic school run by a very strict German Catholic convent. Um, I truly enjoyed my school. Hmm?
0: So it was nuns that were teaching you?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Did you ever, did you ever get smacked on the hand with a ruler?
1: All the time, (laughs) if I wasn't (laughs) careful.
0: (laughs) But I truly
1: enjoyed my experiences. Um, I think my schooling uh, in the strict convent environment really prepared me for a a sustainable future. Um, As you know, the information technology industry was mostly male-dominated, but it encouraged me to think fearlessly, to lead fearlessly, uh, and it has helped me become a better leader. Uh, So I truly enjoyed my schooling experience and I think everyone should have the same schooling, school experiences that I did.
0: Now, uh, where did did you go to college?
1: I went to college in India. Uh, I went to University of Mumbai. I did my bachelor's in India. And um, after I moved to the United States, I did my master's in business administration in marketing and finance. And I worked in technology for almost 23 plus years.
0: Where was was your first job out uh, out of college?
1: My first job out of college was at GE Aircraft Engines. I worked at GE Aircraft Engines in the Information Management Leadership Program. And I was responsible for working on their information management security controls for all of their database applications.
0: So I know that uh, you you've always been into um, very heavy into data. Was that from the beginning um, that you were uh, like interested in being in the data realm?
1: Yes, I think it. Uh, Happened. Uh, It was a logical progression of my career journey. I started in data uh, long before it was called data warehousing and analytics. It didn't have a name. We were just doing data processing, right? So uh, I worked uh, as I started my career actually as an application DBA and then a programmer analyst. And I spent a a lot of time with data warehousing and analytics even before it was a science and a known technology and my career progressed and over the over the years I also worked with Siebel CRM and mm-hmm. Siebel CRM technologies but then some reason I kept going back into data and analytics it just seemed like that was the course that was started for me um, and so I spent several years in data warehousing and analytics, grew through the ranks. Um, My career progressed from being a developer to being an architect, and then I moved to be a project lead, eventually a manager, a director, and then an executive director. So it's been 23 years.
0: Take me back to, uh, so when you and I met each other, I was uh, recruiting, and I talked to you and recruited you for a position i can't was it u.s oncology or was it mckesson specialty health by then
1: it was at mckesson specialty health
0: and uh, were you an individual it contributor or were you a lead had,
1: it was just when they had sold u.s oncology had sold to mckesson specialty health okay and that's when we met and you got me my job as a director of business intelligence and analytics at mckesson specialty
0: so now um funny thing is I just uh, two weeks ago talked to Alan Stickler uh, on this very podcast and uh, I told him that I was talking to you and he got a big smile on his face and uh, said to say hello and hope that you were doing great. Um, So talked to Alan for a little bit and it kind of took me back to um, when you started there and uh, you and I actually met, you came to San Francisco and you, you and I went out and had a bite to eat and got to know each other a little bit. And, uh, I I just, uh, you and I hit it off from the beginning and uh, have been friends ever since. So I really appreciate us keeping that friendship going. Um, now that was before I started my company. I was actually with a different company at the time. Um, tell me a little bit about if it just did you, when you started in your career, did you have aspirations to move into leadership from the beginning? Did you kind of know that you wanted to be in a leadership role or you did? Tell me a little for people who are watching this, um, who are trying to kind of follow the lead of people like yourself, how did you kind of, how did you roadmap your way through the years to get to where you're at today? And, I don't know if I told people this, but today you are the director of enterprise data services and product management for Salesforce. So kind of help some people out how you roadmap that all the way through to where you're at today.
1: I would be more than happy to do that. So I think my aspirations came. um, I always wanted to be a leader when I was in school. I was always in progressive positions of leadership in school. Um, I always uh, was either the hallway monitor or responsible for the assets, um, the school teacher supplies, um, inventory. I was responsible for so many different things. And I think that leadership was just ingrained in me. Um, And when I walked into GE Aircraft Engines, I would say my first few months over there, I worked for this really wonderful lady called Merkita Carmichael. And I saw how influential she was, um, how driven she was, and how hardworking she was. And my first impression was, I want to be just like her. Uh I want people to know me for being a good leader. I want people for knowing me for being a great leader. So that's what I aspired towards. And I worked very hard. And I must say that everything I have done um, up to date in my career, I have never been afraid of hard work. It's always been, you know, relentless hard work, you know, the drive for perfection, the, you know, keeping the eye on customer success. Uh, and no job seems trivial to me. I'll do anything that others will not do. And that's what has d- differentiated me from the rest. And so I kept pushing forward. And even on the days when I reflect back at my career, at my beginnings of my career journey, when I was an individual contributor and I was a programmer, I still did a lot of work unofficially. I did a lot of technical mentoring. Um, I managed a lot of consultants. I managed a book of work. And I delivered a lot of value to my uh, clients or to my employers which made them th- think that I could be somebody who could be in a position of leadership. So informally and formally, I've done a lot of work on leadership. I think um, the turning point uh, where I officially became a leader was uh, back in the early 2000s. I used to work for a insurance company called American Modern Insurance, and I was a project lead. And there was this project that was rated as the company's number one initiative called the right rate for every risk. And I worked very closely with the actuarial department product marketing and drove that project to successful completion. And it had really unrealistic deadlines, but we put in a lot of late nights, a lot of hard work, uh, mentored a lot of teams through the journey, And we delivered the project and it was a huge success. And that was a turning point where people said, yes, I think you're worthy of being a manager. And that's when I got promoted to being a manager. And I didn't stop at that. I keep every day I ask myself, what have I learned today that I didn't know yesterday? And what can I do to do a better job tomorrow? And that's what has kept me going through this career journey and my natural progression through my career.
0: That's awesome. Well, I think <clears throat> there's some great things from what you just talked about there. You you talked about someone that you looked at before who you wanted to kind of you wanted to be like, someone who you looked up to who was a mentor, um, working your butt off, you know, which is something that everybody has to do. You know, there's a lot of people who uh think that things just get handed to people. No such thing. <laughs> you know. And uh, I think that uh, that people watching this and people are going to see a common theme during this podcast from everybody that I talk to. And we're talking to people who are business leaders, entertainers, sports figures. It all comes down to hard work. You know, you're not really reinventing the wheel. With technology, there's a lot of things that you're doing that, yes, are new. You kind of have to be uh, not afraid to go outside of your comfort zone but it all comes back to hard work and working with other people and learning from people who have already been there. And that's really a big part of what true ambition podcast is all about is to help people to see, Oh, if John did it, I can do it. If Lotha can do it, I can do it. You know, and it's really uh, it's really interesting. So I I always like to get that take from people. So I appreciate you going through that with me. Um, One of the things I also want to talk about, I I'm now a dad. I've got a two year old at home and you're on the other end of it you've got someone who's out in the workforce someone who's almost done with school how do you manage raising kids while progressing through a very busy career you've said before you know you just said this a few minutes ago you put in a lot of late nights you know you got a lot of hard work to do how, how do you manage the two of them
1: it's a delicate balance um, and every day you wake up in the morning you know i look at i look at us i look at you i look at me i look at all of us human beings and i say we are we all play several roles in this journey called life we are somebody's mother somebody's daughter somebody's sister somebody's relative somebody's manager right somebody's director right so you play so many roles so you're really an actor on the stage called life and um, I must say it has you have to wake up every morning and decide which role you're going to play best for that day right? So there's always that balance and you're balancing every single minute, every single hour of the day you're trying to raise kids who are as successful as you are and hopefully they're following your footsteps as well as you're trying to be a successful employee to the employer that you are responsible for who, pays your food, drives your paycheck. So it's a very delicate balance. Um, And I must say some of you who are coming late into this parenting game probably have it better than what we did 20 years ago when there were no laptops, um, there was no Wi-Fi connectivity, um, you know, and there were no cell phones. So you can't pick up the daycare and tell them, hey, I'm running late and I'm stuck on so-and-so freeway. So it required a lot of planning. But I think a lot of planning, careful coordination, and a lot of help from family and friends is what has um, gotten me to this journey and where I am
0: today. So that's a good segue into my next question here. So everybody wants to know Are you someone who jumps right out of bed in the morning, or do you hit the snooze button a few times before you get up? Be truthful.
1: (laughs) I would say. I'm going to be very truthful. I draw a lot of uh, inspiration from my work. Um, and there have been days when, you know, projects have been exciting and the journey has been creative. And, you know, there's a lot of strategic work that awaits me. Those are the days I jump right out of bed and I'm all about getting to work and, you know, doing my best and bringing my putting my best foot forward. And then there have been days when I know that, you know, that day is going to be a little bit, you know, somewhat of a dull moment. Then I might hit the snooze button. But for the most part, I'm pretty self motivated. Um, I wake up in the morning, uh, and now that it's we we are in this COVID, uh, I try to um, you know do some exercise and get some get some of the, those things out of the way. So I start my day with a positive attitude. So it's really been working well.
0: Great. Are you a regimented person or are you an impulsive person or is there a mix of both?
1: I would say I am very regimented when it comes to my work and at work. So when I'm at work, right, uh, I'm a leader. But if you ask my team, they'll tell you I'm very regimented as in in a good way, as in I'm very disciplined um, I like to follow up on things. I like to make sure my calendar is organized. I like to make ensure my customers are happy. Um, so there's that thing at work, which is, regi- the, you know, the regimen. But if you know me uh, on a personal level, um, I'm pretty impulsive. I'm the type who likes to live my weekend with no agenda. Um, um, I like to do different things, like maybe go on a hike or maybe just go enjoy a ice cream or something like that. So I, I think I have a split personality between work and home.
0: <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde. Yeah. So I know um, uh, we're friends on Facebook, and I know that you love to dance. So uh, what uh, what type of dance do you practice? And you've been, you've been doing it for a long time. What, what's it called?
1: It's called Bharat Natyam. Um, it's a dance form that I have practiced diligently for almost three decades. Um, and it is a classical dance that is uh, very prominent in Southern India. And I have cherished this art form. Uh, For me, dance is larger than life. Data is larger than life. So I always tell people, I love the 3D data dance. And my son drew. not <laughs> in that order, but <laughs> those are the three D's that get me out of bed every morning.
0: That's fun. So what, uh, is the, is the dance a very regimented thing where there's, there's a bunch of, um, what do I say? There's a bunch of meaning behind every one of the moves. Kind of like, I know that like yes. Hawaiian dance, there's like everything they do has a, a real meaning behind it is it the same kind of thing for this dance
1: yes this dance um another uh, another name for this dance form is called visual poetry so a lot of what you do you're trying to explain and depict with hand gestures and it has very intricate foot movements it requires a lot of dedication and practice and not a Not many people know that I used to run my own dance school until 2015, Um, and I used to teach a lot of the children in the Woodlands area, Um, and I I don't teach anymore, but I do practice very religiously, and I do have some videos published on uh, Daily Motion as well as YouTube, so um, I um, I do practice this dance form very religiously.
0: That's cool. How, how many students did you have?
1: Um, I would say up to about 10. It's, it's very difficult to take more than 10 It's because it requires a lot of prep work and, you know, writing dance notes and all of that. So it, it takes a lot of work. So 10 is a good number.
0: Well, I know that uh, you and I had talked before and that it's a good segue because of the dance that who is the person in your life who most inspired you?
1: So I would say um, I draw my inspirations from various sources. So I look at a lot of my previous managers, a lot of my previous leaders in the organization, as well as the one that I work at and try to, you know, pick on all the positive traits and try to inculcate that into my leadership style. But I would say the one person that I continually Get inspired by is my dance teacher who lives in the Midwest. She lives in Columbus, Ohio. Her name is uh, Indra Satyapriya. To me, uh, she's she's like my mother, but she's also like my friend through this journey called life. And she's a great leader, very inspirational. And I draw a lot of um, energy and positive vibes. And I always aspire to be like her and deal with life situations just like she would. So she's definitely somebody I always look up to
0: and aspire. So let me ask you a question. Um, Looking at how much you love dance and how much you love data, how can you use what you've learned over the last 30 years in dance and compare it to the way you practice your management of the folks you work with In your career life, can you do that? Can you compare the two and kind of how you use what you learned in dance to what you do in your career?
1: Absolutely. I would say um, dance has taught me a lot of important lessons. It's taught me how to be fearless, Um, it's taught me that no matter how bad things are going up, you never give up. For example, if you're on stage and things are going bad, you don't give up and say, all right, I'm done.
0: You
1: (laughs) you keep making it to the end so that your audience is happy. And sometimes your audience never even guess that you made a mistake, right? Right, right, right. So you keep on going. Um, So I think it's, and the other thing is, it's taught me how to prepare and for key meetings, right? So how do you prepare when you are backstage? You spend countless hours rehearsing to go perform for your audience. So I compare that to some big presentations I make for the CIOs and the CEOs. I work a lot. I present a lot to the CEOs and CFOs and all of that, and the deans of the various medical schools. So when I go to them, I want to present a courageous front, a fearless front. So I think that dancing on stage has kind of helped me get through that stage, right? And it has made me a confident leader. So when I'm in front of large audiences, I'm able to present fearlessly and speak my mind courageously.
0: I love it. You you know that I'm a a musician and a singer. And uh, I've I've always said that uh, I never went to college. Uh, I I got out of high school. I barely made it out of high school. I had to beg some people to let me out of there. Um, But uh, I, I traveled around in bands And uh, I didn't know it while I was doing it, but I was I was preparing myself for, you know, my uh, career as a technical recruiter and uh, an executive in the staffing industry. You know, just because what you said, if you're on stage and not prepared, you will fall apart and people can see right through you. If you are prepared and go up there and give a great performance, whether it's the perfect performance or not. People are going to respect that, and they're going to respond to it favorably because you're giving the very best you can, and more times than not, you're going to get a favorable response from what you lay out there on the stage. So I loved what you said. That's a, it's, it's 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 I I fed, I fed into it perfectly because I I know you're right on the money. Um, my next question is I ask everybody this: What is the last book that you read? that really inspired you that uh, you would suggest to other people?
1: Um, I would say it is um, the book by John Maxwell on uh, leadership traits, um, And I buy that book for every new leader in my organization because it provides a great framework uh, for how you want to lead. Um, so that's one thing I do recommend to all new managers. Um, In addition to that, um, I would say there is a book on generations, uh, which is very good, too, if you're a new leader. Uh, I don't know who wrote the book, but I've read it several times. And there's also a a leadership class around it. But it teaches you how to deal with the different generations at workplace. So, for example, if there's a Generation X versus a Baby Boomer versus, um, you know, I don't know what the other generation types are right now. But how do you deal with all of them effectively and maintain harmony at work? And how do you have a very productive work culture? And I think those two books are some, something that I always look to uh, you know, uh, when, um, when I want to give something you know, as, a, as some instruction material for new leaders who are starting in my organization.
0: Okay, so the first one is uh, is it Leadership One O One by John Maxwell? Yes. And then the other one is called Generations. Yes. And who do you know who the writer is of that one?
1: I don't remember who it is, but I have the book somewhere. And I did buy a copy of that um on Amazon for a couple of my new managers. But I can find it out. I can find out and in- get
0: perfect. So COVID has changed everything. So like we said before you and your husband are both working from home like the rest of us are. Um, how has it changed your world as far as uh, as a manager?
1: I think uh, COVID has changed this world dramatically. Um, I would say it's definitely a population health issue uh, because it has impacted the society we live in. It has impacted our work environment. If you had told me eight eight months ago, all of 2020, you will be locked up at home working from home. I would have said, John, you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think this is the new new future, right? Um, I think somewhere out there, we have proven to the world that we can all work from home. Um, So I would say... One of the things that I have seen is that COVID has impacted most of my team members in different ways, right? Some of the people who work for me, they have young children at home. And when I have a one-on-one, I see the kids running around, um, you know, on the one-on-one conference calls. Um, I, I know some people who have sick parents who they need to take care of, but they're not able to go see their parents because they can fly out of their city. Um I know some people who are working crazy long hours. I know I'm working long hours. It seems like I never sleep or haven't done anything relaxing because I'm working every time zone at the moment to support my team and to support my customers and to ensure that the business operations are not disrupted. So mental health um, is very important as well as the mental health and well-being of my employees. I think that is top of mind for me at the moment. Um, and I think COVID has kind of disrupted everybody's schedules. It has impacted everybody's lives. So when you, when you lead your teams, you have to be very empathetic about what's going on in their life. That, that is a possible resulting outcome of COVID. Uh, so it's a, very, uh, it's a very deep population management issue that we need to ponder over. Um, because this is something that I think will continue until next year till we have a cure for this disease. Uh, And so we need to continue to be empathetic. We need to be better leaders, and we need to be able to keep rally our troops and ensure that we're going to be able to meet all our customers. Well,
0: that's great. Uh, When COVID hit, I was like, oh, my God, what is going to happen here? Um, And as many bad things Have come out of it I think that many or more good things have come out of it Um, you know I I've gotten the chance to spend more time with my son than I would have prior Um, I think it's helped people to prioritize -prioritize, reprioritize what they were looking at before you know and I I took a drive about a month ago uh, down to Silicon Valley and never got into this is nine o'clock in the morning And I never ran into a traffic backup once in the middle of the week. Um, That was absolutely crazy to me because before when I would drive down to Silicon Valley um, at nine o'clock in the morning, it would take me two to two and a half hours to drive down there. This took me 50 minutes, you know, and uh, there's so many good things that can come out of it and so many good things that have come out of it. And I think there's a lot more that will come out of it. So, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that are super smart that uh, are taking advantage of uh, what's going on. And a lot of companies that, like you said, I had many managers who were clients of mine before that have said, I will absolut- absolutely not look at uh, remote workers. They have to be in the office. And that's completely out the window now where people are going, okay, I'll take people working remote now. And uh, they're, they're finding out that they can get, if they manage them the right way, they can get just as much, if not more productivity out of people working remotely. How are things in Texas um, with the whole COVID thing? Because we're here in uh, California um, and uh, Nevada is where Carissa and I live at. So uh, h- how are things in Texas as far as like when you go out to um, the store and stuff, is everybody wearing masks and all that kind of uh, stuff? Or h- how does it all work in Texas?
1: So. Um It's very disturbing to see people run around with no masks because they don't realize the seriousness of the disease um, or the severity of the issue. Um, You know, when I drive by on Friday evenings, I see that every restaurant parking lot is completely full. Every bar parking lot is completely full. Uh, And I wish people would take this disease more seriously and maybe stay home and order in to a takeout or something like that. Um, But I think, you know, on on a flip side, how long can you expect people to be locked up at home, right? Everybody has a life to live and eventually people start suffering from cabin fever. They have to get out of the house. Um, But I I see that, um, uh, you know, a lot of businesses are picking up. It was very sad in March or April when, you know, some of the, Local mom and pop restaurants here had to lay off a lot of people. So I see the economy is picking up for sure. Um, The other thing, uh, you know, I see that the demand for IT workers has really shot up because of the whole digital economy and everything going virtual. Um, It's it's a crazy economy out there with, with the IT job market. There's so much hiring, so many activities. So many recruiters calling. I think things have really started to pick up in the on the IT uh, job market, front.
0: Yeah.
1: especially in Texas. Yeah,
0: and, and thank goodness because uh, when this first um, happened back in March, we were all like, "Oh, oh, what's going to happen here?" And you know, it's as far as in the IT uh, realm, um, it's it's not slowed down at all. You know, for our clients, so thank goodness for that. Um, Now, have you traveled at all since COVID? No. No. See, don't have to. You know, thank goodness. Uh, My my wife and I, Carissa, are going to pack up little Johnny here at uh, 1st of November. We're driving back to Illinois to uh, visit my mother and my grandmother and a bunch of folks back there just because None of my family except for my mom has even seen my kids. So we're going to pack up and drive back and take about three weeks to travel across the country. So we're not getting on an airplane, though, so we're just going to jump in a car and go. You love data. That's one of your Ds. What is the newest thing in data that really has you excited right now?
1: Um, I would say what is the newest thing in data actually – is uh, I work for Salesforce. We just acquired Tableau, so there's a which lot of huge. work that's going on. Which is huge. Um, so I'm kind of really excited about the future of Tableau and you know and Salesforce becoming more of a BI and a data company. Um, and so there's a lot of rebranding going on internally. Um, which obviously some of the things I can't share, but some of the things I can publicly share. And um, definitely some of the latest innovations with visualization, predictive analytics, understanding the customer's mindset, understanding the customer's uh, behavioral patterns and putting data to work to understand what's next and where do we take our business is what is one of the most interesting trends in data and business intelligence that I'm working on. So I'm very excited about the future.
0: I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you're at Salesforce. It sounds like uh, you're in a a great spot there and uh, there's some exciting things happening. So if someone is listening to this podcast right now, and they're aspiring to get into data and analytics, What advice would you give to them to really get a leg up on the competition?
1: I would tell them that they have to really have an analytical mindset if they have to work in this industry. They have to have the ability to um, dream big. They have to have the ability to uh, be able to tell stories in terms of, I spend a lot of time with the, the C-suite, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to take their business needs and relate it into visualizations. So you have to be have the ability to build visualizations that tell a story. So you have to be a compelling storyteller. Um, and in addition to that, I think you have to have an eye for detail. And you, above all, more, more than any other area in IT, you have to be a good relationship builder, because the business intelligence part of it says that you are providing intelligence to the business about themselves. So you really have to be a good relationship builder and your customers have to know that you have their best interest at heart. So I would say relationship building, powerful and compelling storytelling, and analytical mindset. These are the three key um, critical success factors to be successful in this business.
0: That's awesome. So last thing I'm going to ask you is something that I ask everybody who is on this podcast. So true ambition. uh, It's the name of the book that I'm writing right now. And it's also the name of this podcast. So true ambition. I took a quote from a book about five years ago that says true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. Uh, When I read that, I realized that uh, I've always been ambitious much like you, but uh, I think in my early life, I was ambitious for the wrong things. I was ambitious for money, power, girls, whatever it was back in the day. Um, And I think that now my true ambition is to go out and make people happy. And as long as I do that, then I'm given what I need to survive and to thrive. And I've got a much happier life. And that's why I started this podcast and that's why I'm writing my book, and everything. So my last question to you and to everybody that's on this podcast is knowing what you know now, what is your true ambition in your career? And what is your true ambition in your personal life?
1: So my true ambition in my career is to keep working on data and analytics, um, but doing meaningful things, right? I spent 10 years in healthcare, um, which was very fulfilling uh, personally because I spent, you know, a lot of time trying to improve the quality of patient care uh, and healthcare, care. And, and I felt I made a reasonable impact um, at where I worked at before this. Um, and now I'm on this journey where I'm in high tech, right? And I'm learning a lot of new things and a lot of industri- new, new trends in the industry so I aspire to be in progressive positions of leadership in data and analytics. Um, I think that's where I want to spend the rest of my career before I retire. Um, from a personal level, um, I'm very eager to see my kids um, succeed, um, do well, not only, not only with their careers, not with their chosen careers and their respective fields, because I know they're both One's a lawyer and one's an aspiring lawyer, um, but I want, to, I want them to be good human beings. I want them to be good citizens, um, and I want them to build uh, good families for themselves um, and, and, you know, make a name for themselves in this world. I think, and it doesn't have to all equate to money. It, it can be the good things they do for society, right? So right. that's my ambition from a work perspective as well as from a perspective. Um, on the personal
0: perspective well i think those are wonderful answers and uh, i think we all kind of aspire uh to those same kind of things so um i really appreciate you taking this time to uh come on the podcast and uh i appreciate your friendship and uh i wish you nothing but the best and i know we'll stay in touch but uh thanks so much for coming on the true ambition podcast and uh we'll see you later Take care. Thanks, Latha.
1: Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on this podcast. It was great to step away from work and talk about something other than work.
0: (laughs) All right. Keep dancing.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. Keep playing the drums. Bye.
0: The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now. Go find your true ambition. And I'll be your protagonist.